Welcome back here in the Sports Zone, and uh, we'll dive into the Mets GM hunt for a little while here. We'll get into the Giants, Eagles, much more coming up. But Mike Puma covers the Mets for the New York Post. He's been all over uh, this GM hunt for the Mets. Uh, joins us right now. How are we doing, Mr. Puma? Dude, I'm terrific. Good. Uh, so what was uh, what's new today? A, a new name to add to the list here for the Mets? Yeah, uh, I am Bloom. From the Tampa Bay Rays is the number two guy in uh, baseball operations down there. Brings kind of a uh, uh, a younger feel uh, to the mix. Thirty five years old, uh, and really that's uh, you know that's different than what we've seen here. It's been uh, mostly older names uh, that we've gotten to this point. So Bloom uh, from Tampa Bay, kind of uh, you know he's an analytics guy. It sounds like and. Uh, so uh, another direction the Mets could uh, potentially go. How do you see this working out? Do, do you think there's one name brought in and and that becomes the overarching person, or could you end up having, say, a president of baseball ops and, and a GM brought in at the same time? I think it could potentially be two positions where you bring in a head of baseball ops and a GM. That's just uh, something they're going to have to decide here. Now, I, you know, I'm looking down the list of names, uh John Watson, Tim Ang, uh, Bloom. Um, who else we talk? Who else am I missing here? Gary LaRock. Uh, Gary LaRock, uh, Doug Melvin. You know, all the uh, Doug Melvin's uh, been a GM out of that group. So, you know, he might be the one where if you bring him in, you make him ahead of baseball ops or something like that. I think the others, because they haven't been the number one person before, are, you're probably more looking at a situation where they're. Uh, you know, they're brought in as the GM. Well, what might be attractive about Bloom, uh, beyond you know the obvious, the Rays, they've been ahead of the curve in a lot of different areas uh, in the time Bloom has been there, even though he's only 35, 14 years in that organization. 14 years, Yale University graduate. I was just looking at his bio a few minutes ago. I think he majored in Latin, I saw. <laughs> so uh, That'll come in handy. Yeah, yeah. You know what, I, I, I took... Uh, I took three years of Latin in high school and then a couple of semesters in college. I, I find it very helpful. But, Crosswords? Uh, uh, no, <laughs> no, just 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 writing my stories every day. A lot, okay. so many words based on based on Latin. But uh, yeah, you know, you look at when you're talking about that Tampa Bay front office, you're, you're really looking at a situation uh, where they haven't had a lot of money to work with, and, and they managed to keep the team competitive and. Uh, they're, they're very uh, highly analytics-based. We're talking again, Mike Puma of the New York Post right now. Is it just a, a better sign that somebody who, granted, isn't a GM in Tampa, but uh, is willing to at least have the meeting with the Mets and, and get a feel for this job? Because it, like, uh, it feels like they've been rejected, but from some of those kinds of candidates over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think it's a positive sign. And he's, you know, he's interviewed for a couple of uh, jobs before, Milwaukee and Philadelphia in recent years. Uh, I think he turned down a chance to interview with Arizona at one point. So, listen, uh, there's only 30 of these jobs, uh, you know, and sure, maybe it's not a track, would quote-unquote attractive job right now, but there's only 30 of them, and there's a – enough people out there interested now are, are you going to get the highest end guys probably not but you know what there's there's, there's a lot of smart 
people working in this game, and uh, and I think Bloom uh, fits into that category. And you reported last night Tony Larusa uh, made a an overture to the Mets on uh, someone's behalf. He did. Tony Larusa is a big Gary LaRock guy. He loves Gary LaRock. Couldn't say enough good things about him. Now Larusa knows LaRock from St. Louis. Uh, where uh, you know, LaRock was just kind of getting there when, when uh, LaRusso was finishing up there as manager. But uh, then LaRusso went to Arizona, where he was running the show out there for a while, talked to uh, LaRock for the GM job, was very impressed with him. Ultimately, they hired Dave Stewart for that job. He, he wanted to hire LaRock for what he considered an equal job to the GM, but uh, um, the Cardinals uh, denied permission uh for them to go that route because it wasn't technically a, it, was, it wasn't a promotion on on the scale as the Cardinals saw it, so they they denied permission. And uh, but Tony Larusa uh, Tony Larusa likes Gary LeBrock a lot. And this uh, this is the first round of interviews for the Mets with the potential candidates. How long do you expect this first round to go on? I think we're we're near the close here. I, I think by tomorrow or Friday they'll be done with the first round. Uh, although I, I am told that it, it could spill in early next week, but I think uh, I think we'll 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 get into those second round of interviews next week, and that's when uh, Fred Wilpon is going to get involved in the process. And ultimately, uh, you know, it's his call who's going to be the next GM of the Mets. And that's—I would think—that's a very different interview doing one with John Rico and Jeff Wilpon, and then you know trying to have Fred on board as well. It's got—you got to be balanced, or at least be able to to talk to people with some different philosophies about the game, right? Yeah, and and that's the thing. You know, I think you know Jeff Wilpon and John Rico are both you know younger guys, or they're in their forties, early fifties. Um, and you know, and Fred Wilpon now is comes from a different generation, and he's more of a more you know more old school, as we've said. He, he's kind of looking. I think I think he still leans toward uh, wanting a candidate with uh, with experience in uh, player development and scouting. But you know what? I think he's also open. I, he, he could probably get blown away by mm. the right candidate, yeah, like Mickey Calloway. That's what happened with Mickey Calloway. He, you know, last year the Mets did the whole managerial search. Uh, they fully expected it to go two rounds. Mickey Calloway came in the first round. Now Fred Wilpon was involved right from the beginning in that search. Mm-hmm. Mickey Calloway came in the first round, and they said, "Hey, we got our guy here." So, uh, you know, anything can happen when you uh, when you get these people in front of Fred Wilpon. Remember Art Howe. Art Howe lit up the room. <laughs> And then and then they battled uh, night after night after night with uh, with Art Howe. Uh, we're talking again with Mike Puma in the New York Post. W- what sense do you have of the names that are public right now? Is that close to a complete list of everybody the Mets have interviewed? I think it's pretty close. Now I, I saw Mike Turnoff's name floating out there today, and uh, he's the Indians GM, and um, I think. Um, I think there's some interest there on the Mets. I, I don't know how interested he is. They may have they may have spoken uh, on the phone. I'm, I don't think he's been in for an interview, but uh, he may be another name that joins the mix. But I think we're we're pretty close to a complete list here. You know, five, six, maybe maybe there's a seventh. I don't know. 
but uh, we're, we're winding down here, I think, uh, toward the end of the first round. I know one of the names that's generated a, a lot of attention is Kim Ng, who's been working for Major League Baseball for uh, quite a few years now. What do you hear about you know her background and, and what – you know, would there be any concern that she hasn't been with a team uh, in recent seasons? You know, I don't. I don't think that's too much of a concern. Remember now, when uh, the Mets hired Sandy Alderson, mm-hmm. he came right from the commissioner's office, and he had been uh, at that point he'd been removed from the Padres for a, a few years. So I, I don't think that's a big deal. And, and Kim Ang, uh, she has. As has been pointed out to me, she's got big market experience. She mm-hmm. was with the White Sox, and she, you know, she was with the Yankees, uh, with the Dodgers, and she's she's done a lot of stuff uh, in all those organizations. You know, with player development, she knows analytics. I I, I think she's a, a very impressive candidate. Certainly, she, she, you can certainly put her resume up uh, against anybody's in this mix. Certainly. Is there any kind of front runner you, you get a feel of thus far? Or too early to call. You know, the other day I, I said I thought it was Gary LaRock just because um, it's, it, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people in the organization kind of pulling for him, and I, I think Fred Wilpon likes him a lot, but uh, I'm, not so, I'm not so sure he's a clear front runner at this point. I think, uh, I, I think you know, LaRock, it could be Melvin, uh, it could be Kim Ng. I, if if I had to pick three right now, I would pick those three I just mentioned as, as probably somewhere on equal footing. Kim Ang, uh, Gary LaRock, and uh, Doug Melvin. All right. Uh, Mike Puma of the New York Post. Uh, appreciate your coverage of this. Everybody check it out, NY Post. And uh, good luck to your Giants tomorrow, Puma. The season's on the line. Season is on the line. <laughs> NFC East is wide open, so, you know, just get a, just get a little winning streak going and uh, see what happens. It'll all be okay. Was Lil Wayne sitting next to you for this interview? He's not. No. <laughs> who do you got? If you would have someone next to you, who would it be? You get you get one music star next to you in an interview. One music does that have to be a living music star. I'm a big Sinatra guy, so oh, okay. Sinatra next to me, you know. I mean, good one. Not in a long. I like that. Puma and Sinatra. Uh, given given hot takes. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Take care, Pete. All right, Mike Puma in the New York Post uh, giving us the latest there on the Mets uh, hunt here. So, you know, that's an encouraging name. I, I think background, really, uh, as far as, you know, Hyam Bloom being involved. And as Mike mentioned, Mike Chernoff's name coming up, Andy Martino of SNY, uh, just uh, tweeted that, you know, Chernoff is in the mix, has ties to the area, obviously, his father, the program director, uh, down the dial here. So, um you know, he's got family in New York and uh, obviously some kind of uh, connection with the uh, the area uh, as far as that goes. If you're talking about, you know, taking an actual general manager, someone's had a lot of success there in Cleveland and then, you know, bumping them up to president of baseball ops. It would be a name that would make a lot of sense. And, you know, that would probably jive pretty well for Mickey Callaway as well. Of course, Callaway coming from the Indians organization as well, where he was their longtime pitching coach. So, uh, yeah, that would be a, a seamless transition, but again you know those questions about the Mets we, we talked with Steve Phillips the other night about the chain of command and you know are you going to be put in a situation to make the final decisions to have autonomy and you know have 
you know, the organization run essentially the way that you desire and the best way that you see fit in order to win some games. Uh, so th- these are all, you know, part of the questions that surround the Mets. But I, I think today, uh, much more encouraging in terms of getting some, you know, diversity in these candidates, uh, and some younger people involved, some more analytically based people involved, and at least, you know, have them open to, you know, looking at the organization, vice versa, and getting a feel for what their ideas might be. And if you don't hire them, you know, maybe they do uh, give you an idea or a plan for the organization that, you know, makes uh, a little bit of sense, makes you more open uh, to going in in that kind of direction down the line. So I think, uh, you know, that's something that you want. And they said they would have a variety of candidates, and uh, I don't think there's anybody quite non-traditional in the mix right now, uh, but, you know, we didn't hear Casey Close's name or, or Brody Van Wagner, a couple of player agents that have been mentioned at various times, uh, but... Um, you know, certainly uh, due diligence being done at the moment here by the Mets. 800-321-0710, the number. Again, 800-321-0710. Uh, we'll get into Giants-Eagles, some of the keys in that game coming up a little bit later on in the show, and uh, as well as what the Mets and, to some degree, the Yankees have to look ahead of as we hit the hot stove portion of the baseball season uh, here in mid-October with both the Mets and Yankees now done for the season. This is Sports on with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. We're back in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. Well, as we look ahead to the offseason here for both of these teams, uh, the Mets and the Yankees, it is going to be, uh, I think, fascinating on the other side of town, the Bronx. And for the Mets, it's just big question marks in terms of what uh, they decide to do until they have a general manager in place. Uh, you kind of know with the Yankees what the plan is going to be. It's going to be go on a shopping spree and make the big moves once again. The Yankees have waited years to get under the luxury tax. It's something that they tried again and again and again. This year they did it, so now they don't have to pay as high a penalty if they do go over $206 million of their payroll this upcoming season. Uh, I think they pay 20% instead of 50% on the tax. Uh, So the whole goal for the Yankees was to get under so that they could spend without having so much of it going to the other teams around Major League Baseball. That luxury tax money is essentially redistributed. So now that the Yankees have actually done that for a year, and they do it in offseason where they add John Carlos Stanton uh, to the roster, this is an offseason where they're going to be shopping in the you know the big time aisle. And what that means for the Mets is, hey, if you want to make a run at a Manny Machado, you're going to have company, and not any company. Teams like the Yankees involved for Machado, teams like the Phillies involved for Machado. Uh, ultimately, I think Harper will end up in Philadelphia. That, that's what I think is going to happen here. The Phillies are going to make a big run. Harper fits their team better than it does than he does anywhere else, and he might fit that city better than uh, you might think. And you know, he's been kind of all over the place down the stretch this season in terms of you know his moods and he wasn't hustling in series against the Mets but he's angry on himself at the same time and uh, there's just some I think questionable behavior certainly not 
that of a guy who's going to get paid three hundred plus million dollars, become a leader of your franchise. But in Philadelphia, some of that stuff plays. Uh, so. You know, that might end up being a good spot for him. They could put him in the, in right field. They have that spot open essentially and they'd have a tremendous lineup. And the Phillies, uh, one thing that ownership group has done and they did it when they had the core of Utley, Howard, Rollins, they went out and spent. In that case, they spent on pitching and brought in Roy Halliday and Cliff Lee and Roy Oswalt and all of those guys at various times and put together a tremendous pitching staff. The Phillies have done that. Phillies are not afraid to make some big moves, run that payroll up when the window opens. And the window is wide open for Philadelphia right now, as they showed early in this season, or the first, what, 85% of this season, and then obviously fell apart down the stretch. Um, you know, and then the Yankees, you know, they're going to be in it big time. So, you know, the Mets, right off the bat, we're all going to looking at Machado. Machado's a terrific fit for the Mets, too. They need a, a big right-handed bat to fit next to Conforto with Ioannis Cespedes, questionable at the very least for next season you really can't depend on him for anything coming off multiple heel surgeries so now you you look at Machado as an option for the Mets but you have a lot of competition out there uh, so they'd have to go big time there'll be a, a change from what we've seen in terms of where the Mets payroll has sat over the last few years to add on that kind of salary and the other moves that the Mets have to be able to make. So, first of all, as a Mets fan, you might have to swallow hard and see the Phillies, Yankees making big moves out there because Machado does fit with the Yankees as well. Uh, they can make some moves. Didi Gregorius is one year remaining on his contract. They could look to move him. Uh, they could move Miguel Andujar if they felt necessary. They could just move him across the infield to first base and slide Machado at third. Uh, but the Yankees are set up to do big things. One thing we know the Yankees are going to have to do is add starting pitching. That is something that's an absolute need. It's not the number one reason they lost this series to the Boston Red Sox, but the starting pitching wasn't good enough, and that is an area where they can improve, and they can add some things. Uh, so I think the Yankees are going to be awfully busy and willing to spend a lot of money this offseason and really have a, a throwback kind of offseason. And what that's going to do potentially is uh, speed up the whole proceedings of this offseason. Remember last year, it took until past the holidays for any non-reliever to really be signed. It took a long time. Jay Bruce didn't get signed until late January. And as it turned out, he didn't have it that bad compared to some other guys who were signing well into February or just as spring training was starting up. So if the Yankees are, are spending again, uh, that might move the market a little bit and allow things to proceed a little quicker. And is, uh, again, all the reason why the Mets have to get this general manager position figured out as soon as possible. They can't be waiting until the winter meetings in early to mid-December to be putting a general manager in place or president of baseball operations or, you know, just in general, uh, whoever's going to be making their baseball decisions. So uh, I think speed is of the essence for the Mets to make that happen. You certainly want to have it done by the GM meetings in early November. But the earlier, the better. The more time you have to do the research that new front office person's going to have to assess what's in the Mets organization as well. There's a lot of work that has to get done. Uh, so, you know, the fact that they're starting to wrap up the first round of interviews is good. And, uh, you know, apparently Mike Chernoff will be part of the interview process, uh, according to MLB.com. Uh, so multiple sources telling Anthony DeComo that Chernoff is expected to interview. And he would be a home run. 
Absolutely. Uh, what the Indians have done, what they have built there, that is the kind of organization that you want to mimic. And I understand they just got swept by the Houston Astros, but they've got a lot of things going right. And not only that, there's no team in baseball that uh, sets up as similar to the Mets. And the Indians came on after the Mets, but they're another team built around starting pitching. And the trend around the game right now is to depend more on your bullpen. But starting pitching can still carry a team. Uh, you have to have a bullpen, there's no doubt about it. But if you have a bunch of aces, it's a different situation. And the Mets are still capable of having that with DeGrom, Cindergaard, with DeGrom and, and, and Cindergaard and, and Wheeler. Uh, you know, you have uh, enough talent there that you could be near the top and, and have guys that can, you know, go seven innings in a playoff game. And again, it didn't work for the Indians this year, but I wouldn't look at three games against the Astros and say that doesn't work. Uh, it does. And, you know, the Indians have a lot of other things they've done well, developing and finding Jose Ramirez, who's an MVP candidate this year. And we all know about Francisco Lindor and what he has done. Uh, but Ramirez is a guy who just seems to get better every single year and and that's certainly a big positive. And, and just the fact that someone's been a GM before, it's not easy doing it in New York of all places. The questions are tougher, more incisive. There's more reporting. There's more noise uh, around the situation. I think it's harder to handle if you're in your first year. I think Mickey Calloway experienced some of that over the course of this season. And that GM becomes one of the spokespeople for the organization. You want to have someone who's been there before, has dealt with some firestorms. They're inevitably going to come up, even if the organization has run better than before. For, and you're going to have to have an answer for some things. So, uh, you know, all of these things come into play. And, you know, to me, again, Chernoff is about as good a name or as exciting a name as I've heard. Uh, you like Haim Bloom with some of his background in Tampa. Uh, you want to get guys from organizations that have had success and have been ahead of the curve. And those are two organizations in Cleveland and Tampa that have done that. And that's something that a big market team should be able to do take from the organizations that have been successful, grab their GMs and make them your own. The Dodgers did it with Andrew Friedman and you know they've been winning that division every single year that Friedman has been there and now uh, had the NLCS starting up on Friday against the Milwaukee Brewers still trying to get over the top and actually win a World Series but uh, it seems to be a matter of time for the Dodgers. I don't think it'll be this year, but they continue to give themselves opportunities. And I guess it depends on how you look at the postseason. Is it uh, does it prove who the best team was, or is it a little bit of a crapshoot uh, in terms of who ends up standing at the end of the thing? And you just want to have as many opportunities and cracks at it as possible. Eight hundred three two one zero seven ten. Again, eight hundred three two one zero seven ten. We'll jump into the Giants when we come back. Big game tomorrow. What's being said uh, there at uh, at Giants camp? It's a sports zone with Pete McCarthy on the Voice of New York seven ten W O R. We're back in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. Oh, the Giants have really been given a gift in these first few weeks. And I know that's probably not the way the Giants fans see it uh, with some of the calls that were made uh, officiating-wise this past week. But uh, the NFC East, while not expected to be one of the uh, elite divisions in football, 
It was not expected to be as putrid as it has been in these first six weeks. And as badly as the Giants have played, and they have not uh, done the job overall at all. They're one and four. Uh, to lose a game on a 63-yard field goal is, uh, you know, it's bad luck, unfortunate, but it, it's a loss. But there's still opportunity because this division is just so bad. And you have Washington in first place, but really exposed on Monday Night Football by Drew Brees and the Saints as being who the, the Redskins, we all thought they were. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, major issues. They have no receivers to go to. And Jerry Jones admitting as much this week and saying they haven't had a number one in years, uh, which didn't make Des Bryant uh, too happy. He was uh, still looking for a job out there. Uh, but the Cowboys have serious problems, and they are under five hundred at 2-3. and three. And then the defending champs, the Philadelphia Eagles, the team that thought they had figured it all out, had the secret code in football. Well, they've started. Two and three. All four teams in the division have been outscored over the course of the year. The Giants, by the most, uh, 24 points, they've been outscored thus far this season. And yet, for all that has gone wrong for the Giants, here they are, one win against the Philadelphia Eagles, and they can launch themselves right into the playoff discussion. And we knew the schedule for the Giants was going to be very top-heavy, and their most challenging games are early on this season. But the Giants have two games coming up that are going to play like elimination games, but are very winnable for the Giants. And I think the way that the schedule plays out here actually plays to the Giants' advantage. First of all, they get the short week here against Philadelphia, and the key thing is they're at home. The road teams on Thursday night football, any better will tell you, it's not a good spot. You have a short week to prep, practice, prepare, and then you have to travel as well. It cuts into a lot of that time. Now, Philadelphia to New York isn't exactly a long journey, so maybe it won't be as big a factor as it is in some other Thursday night games. But you're playing at home, and that has generally been a big positive uh, on Thursday night football. Uh, You're getting the Eagles at a time that they have not put it all together yet. And now they have another headache to deal with is Jay Ajay. Their starting running back is out for the season with a torn ACL, so the Eagles will be going to the next man up to carry the rock for them. Uh, they haven't been able to put things together yet on either side of the football this far this year. It's still a hangover from that Super Bowl appearance. And I'll bet that the Eagles figure it out eventually that maybe after the Thursday night game, they get a long week, they could catch their breath. All right, this is what's going wrong, and this is what we got to fix, and they'll do it. They are a well-coached football team. They're going to figure it out at some point. But the Giants are getting them at a good time. And if the Giants are able to win this week, then next week they get the Falcons and another team that has been underwhelming this far this season. And another team that you looked at on the early season schedule and said, boy, Philadelphia, Atlanta, back-to-back, that's going to be brutal. But right now, even for a team like the Giants, you can see them winning these two games. And you pull those off, you're in a great spot, and then the schedule starts to ease up a bit. But these games are going to feel like playoff games because it's not just the Giants playing for their survival. 
to some degree, it's the Eagles, maybe not survival for their season, but they don't want to be falling any further, and they don't want to give any life to the Giants here. And then the Falcons probably will be playing for their lives uh, next week. But at least for the Giants, they'll have a long week. They'll have that full week and a half to prepare. It's, it's almost like coming off a bye after those Thursday night appearances. So I think the way the schedule sets up is pretty nice for Big Blue. And, and there can't be excuses if they can't buck it up and get it together tomorrow. They have to. And they have some things in place for that to happen. And they've been fortunate that the division is played out in the way that it has and that they could still squint and see a path to getting into the postseason. They did play a lot better offensively on Sunday. Yeah, you got to give them credit for that. Against Carolina, good football team. They were actually able to throw the ball downfield. The offensive line gave Eli Manning some time. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't close to perfect. But you had a muffed punt go against you for a touchdown, a 63-yard field goal. Now, there were some fluky points put up by the Carolina Panthers, the kinds of things that you wouldn't expect to be a factor once again. So I do think some things set up here for the Giants, and this should be thanking you know their lucky stars that they are in this position, still in a decent position with uh, how disappointing these first five weeks have been. And if they're going to rally... It better start tomorrow night because if you're going to lose to the Eagles and then you're going to get a desperate Falcons team and you can't make hay against those teams, suddenly you're one and six. I mean, it doesn't even matter if you run the table and you start falling to that record. Even in the thus far abysmal NFC East. So it's a huge game tomorrow. Um, You know, Odell Beckham Jr., will be, i got to think, ramped up for this one. You know, he's trying to tell everybody that the Giants are stronger for having gone through basically what he put them through this weekend. That they came together after he issued a heartfelt apology to the team on Saturday night. And that he's trying to change the culture and that guys are tired of losing. And quite a few players have echoed that. When he feels and and felt coming out of Sunday night that that Carolina game is going to be the turning point, well, he's going to have to be one of the guys that proves it. And it's hard for a receiver to just put his will over a game. You depend on too many other pieces. You need the offensive line to give the quarterback time to get you downfield. You need the quarterback to make accurate throws and give you a chance. There's only so much you could do. But he is the Giants' best weapon and they need him to be great they need his offensive line to step up they need to rally up as a whole and they gotta find a way tomorrow but you can squint and see how it does turn around for the giants um but it's gotta start now there's no more waiting around 800-321-0710 again 800-321-0710 uh, we'll take a quick break uh, we'll have uh, some oddities coming up in the 8 o'clock hour always have some fun with that and among them how about Dominic Smith the Mets first baseman showing up played some softball in in, uh, in New York City yesterday against just some people playing playing some uh, some games we'll I'll get the lowdown on that coming up uh, in the eight o'clock hour sports zone with Pete McCarthy on the voice of New York 710 WOR you're in the WOR sports zone with Pete McCarthy 
Well, it was uh, interesting last night after the Yankees were eliminated by the Boston Red Sox that CC Sabathia took took that moment to air some grievances with uh, the often picked on Angel Hernandez. I do need to say this, though. I don't think Angel Hernandez should be umping uh, playoff games. He's absolutely terrible. He's terrible behind the plate today. He's terrible at first base. It's amazing that how he's getting a job to pitch and to play in these, to umpire in these, in these playoff games. What did you say, say to him in the first inning? It's just a conversation for us, but he's, he's, he shouldn't be anywhere near a playoff game. Is that sentiment shared by many of your Everybody, I think. Everybody. I think if you go ask them on the other side, too. Was it, was it strikes on tonight? Uh, it's always. Yeah. It's always. He's, he's bad. I don't understand why he's doing these games. He's bad. I don't understand why he's doing these games. And Sabathia is not the only one. When Angel Hernandez missed three calls at first base in one game, game three of the postseason, uh, former players like Paul LaDuca and Chipper Jones were all chiming in, and nobody's defending Angel Hernandez. Bad umpire in the past, bad umpire now getting uh, postseason assignments. But let's be truthful about last night. Angel Hernandez wasn't missing a whole lot of calls behind home plate last night. He wasn't terrible back there. He was terrible in Game 3 at first base, and one of the reasons we can all be thankful there is replay, get these things right, even if it takes a little longer than anybody wants. But in terms of last night behind home plate, Angel Hernandez wasn't a factor. And when you lose a game, and then you're going to complain about the officiating, the umpiring, who starts with the Giants on Sunday, when you lose, and that's what you're talking about afterwards... It's not always a good look. If you win and you want to take some shots, so Mike Tomlin of the Steelers do that this weekend. Hey, go to town. because At least we all know, well, it's not being a sore loser. I think you have more impact if you win the game and say something about the umpire. Sometimes it sounds like a loser's lament. I think last night, if you're judging Angel Hernandez on last night, that's a loser's lament. That is not... I didn't see anything that Angel Hernandez was obviously missing beyond what we're typically arguing about behind home plate. He wasn't especially bad. I'm sure he missed some calls, balls and strikes, but nothing egregious. Rick Porcello, who was the winning pitcher, he certainly didn't see anything egregious. What about the place, CC? I thought Angel Hernandez called a good game. You got to put the ball over the white part of the plate, and then you get strikes called. <laughs> Throw the ball over the plate, CC. Rick Porcello, maybe he was enjoying himself within the celebration last night a little bit, but uh, willing to you know use CC's name in a way that you don't often hear when CC's comments were relayed in the Boston clubhouse. Uh, that is something, though, that I, I do think you got an inkling of yesterday. And we talked about this quite a bit during the show, that the Yankees and Red Sox, while yeah, it's the historic rivalry and we know the fan bases uh, will get into it and, and bring a certain atmosphere to the games, that the players didn't share that. They, they don't have the same history. There's no dislike between Aaron Judge and Mookie Betts or J.D. Martinez. and There's no reason for these guys to really dislike each other yet and that will build it built last night with Porcello snapping at CeCe and who knows if CeCe Sabathia is around next year in the Bronx 
but something that maybe some of the Yankee players remember. Uh, the Red Sox players, they make a big deal of Aaron Judge blaring New York, New York as he was leaving Fenway Park after Game 2. They didn't bring it up at all. But when it was time to celebrate in the Red Sox clubhouse, what was on the speakers? Frank Sinatra, New York, New York. So uh, you do have you know, the buildup maybe of a little dislike between those two teams. And you know, Yankees, Red Sox is always kind of thrust upon us. But I, I think you're talking about Yankees, Astros, Red Sox, Astros, any teams that are going to be meeting up for the foreseeable future in the playoffs, you like there to be some history and uh, a genuine dislike. I think it's going to build up with the Astros starting off in a big way with this ALCS. They are not the most popular team across the league. And while baseball fans haven't necessarily rallied against the Astros, they're a cocky bunch, and they're willing to tell you as much. Alex Bregman uh, is willing to run his mouth a little bit, which is good. It's good to have some villains in the game. I think the Astros, they're poised to make a Warriors-like run and be... Uh, in the crosshairs year after year, competing for championships year after year. And if they have some success doing that, like the Warriors, you might have some likable guys on your team, but eventually you're going to make that heel turn, and you got, you're going to become the bad guys, and every team in the league is going to be gunning for you. And I think that is starting to happen with the Astros and will happen as you know these playoffs go along well it's going to be a fun matchup against the red sox and the alcs but the game's more exciting when you do have some genuine rivalries when you know the mets are getting chippy with the philadelphia phillies right especially divisional opponents where you're meeting up so many times over the course of the year and maybe you get a little bit of that between the yankees and the red sox after the events uh, of last night 800 right now in this update 